ahead and start recording. Yeah, so if you can just talk right into that guy. Okay. Am I am I close enough? Or am I do uh, I need to be? Yeah, I, mean, I, I try to I try to get like right up on it just to. Yeah, I usually just. Um yeah, I try to get right right okay, in there. Cool. Um let's see. Yeah, I was going through your book last night, which I think I've had for about uh maybe since when did this come out? I think maybe two thousand three, I think I've got um, it. I think it came old? out in two thousand and Here, probably let's see, I think it's two thousand and one. Because yeah. I was on my book tour when I when I was in New York for nine eleven. So oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Damn. Um, yeah. So you want to introduce yourself, I guess. Okay. Uh, I don't know what name... you introduce yourself as. Well, Coop is what I'm known as. I mean, uh, I'm uh, I'm an artist. I've been doing it for I've been doing it for a very long time <laughs> since. Uh, I mean, I started doing getting paid to do it when I was about 16, so that was mm, 80, 1984 probably. So I've uh, 84, 85. So I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Uh, what was uh, how how did this all start? I guess were you always just into art, into drawing every day? Was this was there something that inspired it? I guess an artist that you dug or. Well, I mean, I I, I I think it was just kind of, I didn't really know of anything else to do that I was good at, but I mean, I started, you know, I always, you know, drew and made art since I was a little kid, and uh, I just, you know, when I became a teenager, you know, I was, I was involved in sort of the punk scene in where I grew up, which was Tulsa, Oklahoma, and... Uh, through that, I started doing things like doing flyers for bands and things, and I, I ended up, I actually did stuff back then for the Flaming Lips, because oh, I knew... Right, they're from... Uh, well, they're from they? Norman, and I knew the... Uh, Wayne, Wayne Coyne, his girlfriend at the time, who also I think was their manager, was this woman, Michelle, that I knew, who... Uh, and so I just was you know because i wanted to do stuff i was like i want to do kind of do like flyers or handbills or something for you and she booked clubs so through her i did you know i did stuff for the lips and other bands that came through and you know it just sort of evolved from there i mean it was that's a thing it's kind of a difficult thing for people like younger people to understand now because before the world was so different before the internet in terms of right. how you sort of made connections with people and stuff and there wasn't you know that's one of the ways that the internet is really amazing because it it gives everyone a platform to sort of show off you know what they do and make connections with people all over the world whereas you know back then it was very much it was a lot more well it was a lot smaller world in right. some ways but like what happened with one of the big connections that I had when I was a teenager was uh, this guy named Dale Crane moved to Tulsa and he was an art director for uh, Fantagraphics, the comic book company. Uh -huh. And so this is like 1986, I guess. And he, through him, he introduced me to like people like Dan Klaus and Peter Bag and uh, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez, the guys who do Love and Rockets, and 
who I was already like fans of their work and admirers right. of theirs. And so I started corresponding with them. And at that time, you know, again, like I said, this is all before the internet. You know, they're, they're, I ended up becoming part of this whole circle of people, artists and creative people who just, you know, wrote each other letters and postcards and then would so send... all the correspondence was through the mail? Yeah, and sent packages of just weird things. Like, you know, there was a big... A bunch of the people that I knew, there was a big... Because we were all record collectors. Uh-huh. And we were all people who would, like, go through, like... Not so much record collectors like collecting, you know, valuable records, but collecting like weird shit that we found in the thrift store, like, you know, Martin Denny records or stuff, stuff like that. And so we would sort of make cassette tape mixes of all this stuff and trade it around with each other. And through that world, I got involved with a lot of people who ran like small record labels and started doing so and that was right around the that was I guess late I think it was like late 88 I moved to California Uh from Tulsa and I because I already had connections with people out here I was able really quickly to start working like I started doing stuff for record labels like uh Bomp Records and uh Dionysus Records and uh and then that's how I met uh John from Sympathy for the Record Industry uh-huh. and he was really, you know, I did a ton of work for him and that was really where a lot of people saw my work for the first time right. in, you know, like very early 90s. And and then through that connection with Long Gun John, I got involved with Frank Kozik and Frank Kozik was the guy who got me into doing uh concert posters and then that really everything went that right. was where everything really kind of exploded. So so do you think that the having the internet now, I guess, coming up as an artist, um, do you look at it as a good thing? Or do you think that, uh, like, I mean, I, I grew up in music and recording, mm-hmm. and I think once the internet came along and you could just go on iTunes and distribute your music, sure, um, it made things a lot easier, whereas for you to get where you got, it probably weeded out a lot of people in the process. Sure. Um, well, I, I get where you're going, and I think there's definitely that trade-off there because, like I said, it's it's so easy to get your work out there where people can see it, but right. because everybody's doing it, there's then there's, competition. there's a different level of <laughs> right. difficulty. There's a different thing going on, and also it's... In some ways, I mean, p- more so for music than with art, it becomes really hard to make money you know, because uh, part of the whole internet culture is everybody kind of wants everything for free and they get aggravated at you if they don't get it for free. And luckily what I do, it's basically, it's kind of something you still really can't like download and, you know, for the most part, but, (laughs) but it's, you know, it, it definitely has its challenges. And I mean, you definitely have a lot more examples of people just ripping off your shit right. because they just, they find it on, you know, Tumblr or whatever. Right. And they take your name off of it and put it on their own, their own shit. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, you've had to deal with that a lot, huh? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. All the time. I mean, it's still ongoing. Yeah. And the funny thing now is I get people who, because I've been doing this for so long, like I... One day on my Facebook I Facebook page, I was complaining. I, somebody had sent me a link to, 
I think it was like a restaurant or something, and they were using this image, the smoking devil uh-huh. illustration, as their artwork. And I said something about, you know, like, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, here's another one of these people, you know, ripping me off like that. And, and I'm not that hard to find. It's easy right. enough to contact me and, and make a deal with me or whatever. And some guy gets on there and he says, he says, well, I don't know what, th- what you're complaining about. Cause you know, that image has been around forever. And, <laughs> what? It, and it was like, well, yeah, know I know yours? it's been around forever because right. I created it like probably 25 years ago. So right. what you've been seeing all this time is mine. Right. And, you know, it's still under copyright. <laughs> right. But, you know, people don't, you know, the sickest thing is I talk to people, I interact with people who are actually like people who go to, who went to art school, who don't understand how things like copyright like law or stuff. trademarks or intellectual right. property works. And it's like, what, what were you learning there if you weren't <laughs> right. learning that shit, you know? I mean, right. but that's... I mean, is there any comfort in feeling like, this is as iconic as like a rat fink or a flying eyeball or uh you know something that's like such a staple that you know especially in hot rod culture and mm-hmm. does that help at all feeling like being ripped off in some level means you've kind of arrived or, oh yeah or... well no that's and i i've said that before i mean yeah. that definitely when people start ripping you off is when you know you're doing something <laughs> right. right basically right but, but yeah it's it's and i'm and i mean yeah i know that that's like it's it's like you know, it's like if you run a a, a a department store, you know that there's a certain amount of stock that's going to be right. shoplifted, right. you know, and you sort of almost write that into your, that's like part of your losses and right. you just, Absolutely. you know that. And it's kind of the same, it's not too dissimilar from that. Right. But. Um, was there any formal training between starting to work when you were 16 and starting to do, or was that just kind of a gradual progression into the scene and just more experience working on your stuff like you didn't go to an art college or anything like that no yeah i did not go to art school i all of my all of my learning was pretty much on the job and i was really lucky because when i was still living in tulsa and i was a teenager there was a guy a guy named larry who had he you know he was sort of responsible for a lot of shit in tulsa at that time because he had this building that was a performance space where a lot of bands played and he was also a printer and I got involved with him and he taught me a lot of, you know, he taught me, well, he taught me printing and like doing pre-press and basically all the shit that like five years later, the right. computer completely eliminated. Right. But, but having that, that was having that base was really good for me because a few years later when I started doing silk screens, like all the silk screen prints that I did were, you know, up until like the early 2000s, Everything was hand separated with Rubylith. So, you know, I would actually get yeah. like a film positive printed out. All this is going to sound like most people won't even know what I'm talking about. Right. But I would get a film positive printed out to size, lay it out on a light table, lay down pieces of Rubylith for each color, and cut out the parts right, with an exacto knife right. that were going to be on each front, each, uh, well, plate, each screen were going to be whatever color that right. screen was going to be. And like I learned both in working in offset printing and working later doing screen printing, I learned so much about like color theory, like what, what colors work together and, and, and 
you know, one of the things that I got really, I thought got really good at with my screen printing was, was sort of mixing colors in the process, like by laying colors on top of one another, because most screen printings are transparent. Right. And like, I just, I learned so much by doing that. I think I probably learned more by that kind of on the job experience than I would have learned you know, going to, you know, going to a formal right. school environment, especially since I've talked to so many people who went to art school and said, they, oh yeah, they didn't teach me any of this shit. Right. Like, you know, they, they, you know, it's all the cliches you hear about art school, of, you know, like the tampon in a teacup, you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, there's nothing, you know, they don't teach, you know, it's not like the old days, like in the old days, you would take courses in something like commercial illustration and they would basically give you all the skills you needed to go out and right, get, get a job, job right. as a commercial illustrator. Then they would teach you, you know, how to work with like gouache and scratchboard and pen and ink and oils. And then they would also teach you things like how to shoot reference photos to illustrate from, how to how to put together a portfolio, you know, like real yeah. skills, right. you know. And that's some that's something in short supply now, kind of in all fields, you know, because everybody now their job is just I'm in front of a computer and I'm, you know, pushing right. buttons. So it's it's kind of a shame. I, I that's that's one thing that I think is really sad in general is that, you know, the United States used to have such a great emphasis, especially after like the Second World War on sort of vocational schools where you would go and you'd learn a trade. And, you know, and, right. and at that time going into the arts, you know, if you weren't going to be a fine artist, if you weren't going to be a painter, it was the same kind of a vocational school. Like you would go in there and they would give you the skills you needed to go out and pound the pavement and get a job as a, you know, a sign painter right. or a, an industrial designer or, or a commercial illustrator. And, you know, that seems to be lost outside of, I guess, you know, like Cal arts still kind of gives that kind of a, a like a real education. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure there are other places, but I don't, you know, I don't know that much about it, but it's it's kind of a drag because I just think that there's a lot of people there's just a lot of people that don't know how to do shit like yeah. don't know how to do real basic shit even like not even you know not even talking about like a, a you know plumbing or something just like people that don't know anything like don't know <laughs> right. how to change the oil in their fucking car or like change a flat tire right and. I just feel like, you know, when the fucking zombies take over, you we're guys are going to be in screwed. trouble. You're going to be the first ones to get eaten. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I went to, uh, I started school at, I went to Parsons in New York and started mm -hmm. taking classes and was interning at the same time and was learning so much more from my internships. Yeah. That you like go back into class and you're, you're like, your teacher's going over a chapter you're supposed to read and you're like, I just fucking, I was doing this yesterday. Like, what am I sitting here reading for? And yeah. dropped out and... You, know, you learn so much more on the job, but also like the the people that I worked with, the kids, I feel like were very, uh, I don't know if entitled is the word, but oh, that's definitely the word. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of like, when's my lunch break? When you know they like instead of being like, how do you not appreciate what? I feel like a lot of people that call themselves artists now, it's like a hobby that they kind of do a little stuff and they'll put it up on Instagram and, and they'll call themselves an artist yeah. instead of, like you said, it's not a trade. It's not something that you're dedicated to. It's not, you know, 
like there, like there's no conviction, I guess, about well, you know, a lot stuff. of rich kids go to art school and then right. they don't really need to support themselves because right. so they just have on, a, the, on the back burner. Yeah, they have a trust fund or whatever. So <laughs> right, they don't have to make it. I mean, that's, and you know, it's funny too because I can't tell you how many times, like, I would see I, in in the history that I've been doing this, I would meet somebody and be like. Wow, you know, they're you know, they're they're doing well, but they're not very like good at what they do. And then you sort of you know, end up talking to them a little bit and it's like, Oh, okay, you're a rich kid. I understand that right. you don't have to pay your rent, so you don't have to be that good at it. So well, I, th- I think also what you were talking about with uh, as far as the internet is concerned, if a company can hire some kid that makes stuff on the side instead of having to pay an actual artist real money to make something official. Oh, yeah. You know, they. I think that shortcut has happened a lot now where they'll just go to someone quick and easy that they know they're not going to have to pay. Well, and... it's, you know, all of my friends that are photographers, this is something that they, yeah, you know, complain about because it's like, you know, again, you know, like what I was saying about art, like with photography, before digital photography, the learning curve was so steep to like, just to be able to like, take a photo because you had to understand all this right. math right. you know How to work your camera. and yeah. and now you know digital cameras do all that stuff for you so i mean a digital camera right out of the box you, you it, the picture might be it might be a terrible photo but it's excuse me but it's going to be exposed properly right. and you know the color will be correct yeah. So, and, and, and the, how that relates to like, you know, things like publishing or fashion is now the, the sort of the prevalent photographic style. When you look through like, you know, magazines and stuff is that very sort of artless style that, you know, somebody like Terry Richardson kind of pioneered right. and which I frankly, you know, I'm not a, not a fan, but, but I mean, I, re- cause I really appreciate like photographers that, that well, have a vision and also they just put in the fucking work, right. you know, I mean, it's to the learn same thing. What they're doing. It, yeah. yeah. And, and just put in the work to make an image really spectacular and, and not just rely on this sort of emperor's new clothes idea. Like, Oh, if it looks like a, a, you know, if it looks like a shitty Polaroid, right. That's cool. That's now that's an Instagram filter. Then that's like a cool look or whatever, right. you know, it's like, I love got in photography. I really love people like, David LaChapelle that are like kind of maximalists and are like, I'm going to make this insane, you know, I'm going to spend all this money to build a set and do all this crazy shit and just, you know, make this crazy surreal image. You know, I just, I appreciate the effort that goes into it, you know, because it is not, it's not dissimilar from what I do as far as like being a, a painter and an artist. And I just, I don't know. You know, a lot of this just sounds like an old man complaining <laughs> right, about shit. Yeah, so. no, but it's true. I mean, the conviction that it takes to, you know, I was watching a video of you painting that, the huge, like, paneled mural. Mm-hmm. Like, to sit there and, like, we, we went to the uh, Robert Williams. He just had his show at... Uh, sure. And there's video of him just, like, with a magnifying glass, just sitting there to, like... I don't know anybody nowadays oh, yeah. that would take the time to, like sit down I like no one's trained like that no one cares enough oh well and you know Bob like, Bob is somebody Robert Williams is somebody you know I've known him I met him almost like within months of moving out here because he already you know was somebody I admired right. and I wanted to meet him and we've been we've known each other for years and years and it's funny because all the shit I'm talking about like right now he 
has spent the last 30 years like giving me shit because I don't, I'm not hardcore right, enough compared for him. to what he's doing. Because, you know, Bob like used to, I mean, he stopped doing this at some point, but like in the 60s and 70s, he was like grinding his own paint like like a dude in the Renaissance. Like he was mixing and grinding his own paints. And, you know, Damn. still to this day, you know, like he stretches his own canvases and he gives me so much shit because I, I, I have a, a great place in, in Gardena that does my, you know, my stretchers and everything for right. me. And he's like, like, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to paint a painting that the canvas was stapled onto the stretcher, <laughs> you know, cause he's out there with a little hammer and tacks, right. like, you know, tacking all that shit in. I'm like, well, you know, we all, wow. we all got to pick our battles, right, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's all our own, you know, everybody has their level of commitment that right. they're, they're going for, but, uh. But I mean, you know, he he is he's an amazing painter, and I you know I just saw him I actually just saw him this past weekend, and you know he's like he's still you know I'm not sure how old he is now, but he's still like when he starts talking about this shit, he gets so fucking fired up and passionate right. about it, like it still like burns in him, and I hope that I hope that that I can have that same amount of. You fire. know, fire right. in my belly when I'm his age, you know, because it's 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 tough. You know, sometimes it's just, man, sometimes the world just fucking beats down on you right. about shit, you know, but yeah. uh, it's you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of his stuff in your work. I'm assuming he was someone that was inspiring mm-hmm. to you. Do you think um, like I think of your work and his work and a lot of those artists in the, I guess, custom culture scene as really synonymous with that whole world with, you know, comics, toys, hot rods, all these things kind of fall into the pinup style, the fifties, all these things kind of fall into that, that, I guess that category. Yeah. Is that something that you were always into? Do you think that like, uh, like artists like, um, like Ed Roth and stuff like that kind of started that and it turned into, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that for, for, you know, for, I mean, relating to like, you know, Bob, I mean, I think that I was, I was into a lot of the same things that inspired him because right. like, especially with things like, well, I mean, you know, hot rod culture and things like mad magazine and like, yeah. you know, tattoo art and, and just sort of, well, I mean, what came to be known as sort of lowbrow culture, right. like all that sort of like like sign painting and pinstriping and just all that, that, that whole world, you know, I mean, that informs his work, that informs my work. And, but he also, in following him, he turned me on to a lot of things. And, you know, because of following him is where I started getting interested in, you know, educating myself about art history. Because, you know, he would, you know, you'd have a conversation with him and he would drop you know, drop some name or something and be like, okay, I need to figure, I need to figure right, out what he's talking these, about. Right. I got to go do some work, you know? And, and that was also like a great education for me to know him when I was like young and stupid and I could sort of absorb a lot of knowledge from him in that way. Right. And, but I mean, the, I think the common bond of all that sort of f- that first wave of, 
you know, sort of juxtapose artists, I guess you would say, yeah. is that all the things that we were sort of representing in our work were all things that we were, it, we weren't putting that stuff in our work because we saw it as being hip or we saw it as, uh, it, we were doing it because that was what we were interested right. in. We were painting the things that we were interested in. And, and then I think there was kind of successive waves of people where they were looking at the work we were doing and either they were, hopefully they were, that was like with me, it was causing them to go and explore and look into this stuff and find out more about it. Right. And become really geek out on it. Yeah. And, and have that be reflected in their work. But then I think there were probably also people that it was just kind of a very surface thing. It's like, Oh, that's what sells. I'm going to paint the same thing. And, and I mean, you know, I think that's probably kind of like with, with the business that you're in, you know, that there are people that do shit because they're, that's what they're focused on. That's what they love. And then there's other people who come along and go, Oh, that's what's selling this season. I'm going to rip that off, you know? So it's, that's, that's the nature of things, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I credit Robert Williams with kind of being responsible for me turning out the way I did. I mean, when I was, I was grew up in skateboarding. That was like the sure. first thing I was really into and, you know, would go to the grocery store with my mom and flip through like mad magazine and thrasher and stuff. Yeah. And that's how I found out about juxtaposed magazine. And it came out in 84. I was 10 years old and ordered. They had like a thing you could get like the first six issues for however many bucks. Didn't tell my parents. I was 10 years old, ordered the first six issues, and they came in the mail, and it was, like, opening up to this world that, like, like I lived in the suburbs. I had no access to this stuff. I didn't, you know, we didn't have the internet yet. We didn't, you know. Yeah. And that was just, like, the beginning of finding out about these artists, and that's, I feel like, what got me into a lot of the stuff that I'm into now. Sure. um, That that kind of grew. Um, Is that that world was that responsible for you moving to California instead of like New York being into art and being into just being into like that kind of that's, I mean, I guess all those people kind of came from California and surf and hot rod culture. Well, I mean, you know, the thing, honestly, the reason I moved to California when I did was because somebody, I had a friend who had moved out here and offered me a place to stay for a while. If he had lived in New York, I probably would have moved to New York, (laughs) but, but, you know, the thing is, like, there's a whole time frame there where all that stuff, like, when Juxtapose happened in the 90s, like, that was like an atom bomb going off, you know, because all that, it had all been building up to that. Like, there was this whole culture building up, and but it was largely, I mean, it was it was happening in other pockets. Southern California was definitely not the only place where it was happening. Right. But when Juxtapose started, when Juxtapose, and the thing is, Juxtapose almost immediately became one of the best-selling art magazines right. in the country. Because people were just, like, fucking desperate for that. <laughs> right. and, and, like I said, there was all these sort of groups of people doing this all over the country and even all over the world. And once Juxtapose came out, all of a sudden, you know, it's like that thing of all these people going, oh, wait, there's other people doing this too. Right. And and it just, you know, it just fucking exploded at that point. And, and, and it went from being sort of dozens of people doing it to like literally hundreds and now thousands of people doing it. Right. And it, and, and all the good and bad things associated with that. But, but it's, uh, 
you know, juxtapose, you know, everybody's, it's funny because it's hard for me. I'm, I'm at that point now, like I'm 47 and I'm at that point now where like, I still think about shit that to me, like I think about juxtapose, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, juxtapose started five years ago. Cause to me, right. stuff that happened in 1993 is like five years ago because I'm fucking old and my brain doesn't work anymore. But I forget that that magazine's been coming out for 20 fucking years and it's gone from being this crazy iconoclastic thing that like people got fucking angry like people in the real fine art world got fucking pissed off about juxtapose when it came out they hated juxtapose and they thought like, juxtapose was just going to be the fucking ruination of fine art and you forget wow. that because now 20 years later that's where like now you see really you know you see blue chip guys that want to be in juxtapose right. because it gives them this credibility that they don't get from being in a you know a a, a, a magazine like art in america or whatever right. and it's just cr it's crazy how that's happened and it's it's weird too because it almost like now i look at an issue of juxtapose and it's like i to be honest I don't, I don't recognize probably 80% of the stuff that's in there because yeah. it's, it's two or three generations removed from like the guys that were my peers and, and still are my peers and contemporaries. Right. And like, sometimes I, f I feel really weird about it. Cause I just, I'm, it's, it's a fucking generational thing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's weird, but because it has become this huge fucking thing, this thing that used to be. I used to know, I used to almost know personally almost right, everyone that was it. doing, that was involved in this. I mean, not just artists, but, you know, gallery owners and collectors. And now it's like, there's just so many people that are a part of it. Right. That it's just, I don't know. It's very strange. Like I, I was, uh, I was on again, another Facebook thing, Travis Louie, who's an amazing artist. He, and we're, I think we're about the same age. He, um, he put up thing up on his, he was actually talking about a lot of these same issues. He posted something on Facebook and, you know, I said something, I said, you know, yeah, I agree or whatever. And then like, just all of a sudden there's like, you know, 800 so people have left comments on this thing. And it ends up being this big fight about, you know, like the difference between appropriation and stealing and and the difference between being influenced by something and just ripping off something and it was all these like you know really young artists getting into getting into arguments with like older more established artists right. and it just became this big like it was like a fucking food fight you know <laughs> and and it was really kind of fascinating and then you know i got like a little private message from travis he's like oh well i really you know i really poked the hornet's nest right. with this one you know and but it was it was it was it was interesting to see other people's perspectives on all of it and it's just it's you know it's that whole old thing about may you live in interesting times i mean it's just everything's kind of everything's kind of up for grabs right now yeah. and it's like it's really i mean i've been i've been lucky i've been really successful for a really long time and hopefully I will continue to be successful, but I s never in my career have I felt like this, where I just feel like, 
well, you know, this could just all dry up tomorrow. Right. And it's not, and it's not because of like a lack of work or a lack of interest. It's just because things just change so fast right now that I just really have no idea where things are going anymore. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's very weird. And, you know, and I talk and, and you talk to people, I'm sure this is the same thing in your world. You look at people, you look at their companies and you think, oh, wow, man, they're killing it. And then you talk to them and they start telling you what's really going on. You're like, holy shit. You know, like, man, I had no fucking clue about this. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that real quick when we started the brand and you go to the trade shows and you get to like meet all the other people that are in the same world. And you think everyone else has got their shit together and you're still trying to figure it out. And people are coming up to you going, where the hell did you get this made? How'd you pull this off? How'd you? I'm like, oh, shit, I'm I'm okay. I'm, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all, uh, but yeah, I mean, I being an American-made brand too, like I put so much focus on quality and really think things through. And then you see brands become more successful that are making things overseas yeah. or throwing things together using cheap fabric. And you know, when you it, it, there are those days where you're just like, "What the fuck am I doing this for?" Like, if I'm the only person that cares about you know about yeah. any of this shit. Well, so. it's like we did. I had I when I was doing my my well, I went I went through a divorce and I sort of had to shut down what was my business and restart it uh-huh. myself because I was involved with my ex-wife. But when my ex-wife and I were doing stuff, we started trying to do clothing. And our thing, we we were the same way because I wanted to do like really traditional stuff like car club jackets. Uh-huh. And this is in like, you know, late late 90s, early 2000s, I guess. And so we did, we found a place here in LA that did these beautiful, they did all the beautiful, like old style, like varsity jackets and car club jackets yeah. with the heavy wool and the, just yeah, all the, the nice fucking shit like that. And we made these things. They spent, we spent so much money. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly that kind of thing. Last, yeah, 2015. And, and we made stuff that I thought was awesome. I mean, I still wear the car club jackets, the, the, the one I kept, but nobody wanted to buy these things because <laughs> right. to make to in order to just even break even on them we had to sell them for they were expensive they yeah. were like a couple hundred bucks and nobody appreciated that right. like nobody appreciated like that we were really putting the effort into making these really nice making them in america using the right material all that fucking shit because yep. people just wanted they want to like go to old navy and buy something for ten dollars that falls apart after you like you know wash it once so, you know, we ended up setting on all these damn things and, you know, eventually got rid of them. And then, and it's so funny because now, you know, 15 years later, every time I'm at an event, you know, or, or I'll get emails from people and they're like, hey, do you still have those car club jackets? Those were, those were bitching. It's right. like, well, why didn't you fucking buy one then, oh, dude? Yeah. You know, you, I would have kept making them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My brother and I, that I run the brand with, we have these conversations all the time where people come in or they'll see a picture of a sample or something like that. And they'll be like, oh man, if you made these like blah, blah, blah I'd grab a million of them on my friends. Yeah. You know? And then it comes, once it comes out, oh yeah, maybe next week I'm waiting on my check. I'm blow, you know? Yeah. So we stopped listening to, we just do what we want to do now and put it out and you know, well, it's just, I, and I finally, what I ended up doing, I was trying to get the whole, I, 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 when I started my business again myself, I had to start getting back into t-shirts because that uh-huh. was something everybody wanted from right. me. And I always sold tons of t-shirts and, but I just didn't want to get back into it because it's such a, it's such a bear of a fucking business to be in just, <laughs> you know, 
well, I mean, I don't have to tell you this because it's, yeah. it's true of any clothing. It's like, okay, well, you're going to sell a T-shirt. Okay, well, this design, you've got to have it in like, you know, five or six different sizes. You got to have men's and women's and you got to keep inventory of all this shit. So if somebody orders something, you can, so it's like, you know, just one design, you tie up so much fucking money into yeah. it to, to have it happen. And I just, I kept every time I started to get back into it, I was like, oh, I don't want to start doing that again. And what happened was I ended up, I ended up getting involved with Threadless because they approached me and said, well, we want to start doing these like sort of artist shops in uh -huh. as part of Threadless. And they break down the deal for me. And I'm like, oh my God, you mean, you know, first of all, you're going to handle everything. You have this crazy system where you can print on demand and... I'm going to make more yeah. money off of it per shirt than I ever made making my own fucking shit, right. you know? And it's like, it sounds pretty good. thank you. Thank right. you. And you know, I, and I was immediately, I was skeptical and I was like, well, can you send me some shirts? Like, I want to see like actually what they look like. Do right. they look like shit? And you know, the shirts were the, 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 the printing and stuff, whatever they're doing, it looks fucking good. I mean, it looks as good as half of the, stuff I ever had right. silk screened the traditional way. So I went for that and I've, I've really been happy with them. I mean, I would like to, I, now that I sort of have that set up, I would like to get back into doing more limited stuff, like more kind of a little more sort of high end stuff. But yeah, every time I start to go, cause it's just that whole thing. Well, I mean, you know, the whole clothing business is you have the people that have the, you know, I don't know the style or they understand the, the how to make shit that people want to buy and then the then you have the dudes that have all the fucking money right and you know <laughs> you have to the two sides have to come together and like you know they have to fuck you know before right. you can have before you can make some clothing and so it just becomes this like and that's when you start like if you don't get the right person you start you start having people Right. Your shit gets real fucked up. And I mean, you know, it's like, I'm friends with Paul Frank. I know about what that what <laughs> right. went down with. The, and I mean, that's not certainly not the only story like that. I've heard all kinds of stories like that. Yeah. And, and I don't want to be a part of it, you know? And that's, I, I had, well, I, I, you know, I had, uh, what's his face. I had Christian Autage come sniffing around at one point. And oh shit. And I saw, and at that point yeah, was that, that, that was right when Von Dutch had gone, had made that whole arc from being really hip to being to everywhere, totally, to being like totally embarrassing. And so I, and he was kind of, I guess he was kind of sniffing around for the, like what was going to be the next thing. And he had another artist to, yeah. And so I taught, you know, my rep, he approached my rep and my rep and I talked about it and I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And then right after that was the whole Ed Hardy thing. Right. And then. The same Man. thing, same thing happened yep. basically. So, Absolutely. so I, I'm glad that I didn't do that. So I, I, I just, it's weird. Cause I've had those kind of things happen in my life where like somebody comes up, you know, and like shoves the big fucking pile of money across the table at you. And it's kind of like, I don't know. That's I, that seems that smells fishy to me, right. you know. And almost always, it ends up being exactly that, yeah. you know. It's it's. Do things like do the things like that sound any more enticing as you get older? Do you feel more of a more of a? Do you care less about selling out and feel more of a desire to just like cash in and know well, your family's good and like do your priorities change sure. in that way? Or? I mean, I can't I can't deny that that 
I mean, you know, I can't deny that if somebody just offered me crazy fuck you money, like buy an island money, that <laughs> right. I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, fuck, I'm right. out of buy. Right. But but nobody, you know, nobody offers you that anymore. Nobody nobody offers nobody that anymore. Right. You know, and and everybody. That's the th you know thing like what I was saying before. It's like now more than ever, it's all about hustle because yeah. everybody's hustling. Nobody stops hustling. Like you know, I'm friends with Greg from Mishka, uh -huh. and you know, hey, by I would say by almost any metric, that is a successful company. But even he, you know, it's like I'll talk to him on the phone. He'll just be like, oh man, you know, it's like I got to deal with this, I got to deal with that, yeah. and it's like shit dude you're it's doing good you know <laughs> right. it's like if you're doing good i don't want to be the guy that's doing bad right. you know and it's yeah. it's it's because yeah, it's tough it's tough to do it's that the, the to thread that needle of like doing shit that you like that you can be proud of and getting people to like be interested in that and buy that and then, of course, once they're interested in it and buy, want to buy it, to be able to sell it to right. them, you know? And it's like, it's tough, man. Yeah. It's a tough fucking... And that's the thing with me is, like, I'm a full-time... I'm a full-time artist. So it's like, I got to make... I got to make the art to make the things to right. sell to people. So it's like being an doing that and you know doing just running a business because like now my business that's it's basically me i mean i have people who help me on projects but it's it, you know it's it's me and it's like i'm the guy like if you order some shit from me i'm the guy fucking packing it in a <laughs> right. box and putting an address label on it and sometimes i look at that and i'm like this is really fucking dumb i need to i need to like hire a an assistant or an intern or something to do this. But then the other part of me is like, yeah, I want, I don't, but I don't want to let this shit get away from me. Like right. I want to know, like when somebody orders something, I want to know like, yeah, I fucking addressed that. I took it to the post office. Right, I mailed I it right. out. I want to know it's going to show up, you know? And that's like, I think that's a really important thing. And I think like, I feel really good. Like when I take a big fucking load of stuff to the post office and ship it out, like right. I feel, I feel like I accomplished something in a really concrete way that you don't get from like, Oh, I drew, I, I, you know, I did a drawing today. Like, you know, who fucking cares? But it's like when you know people are, well, you have an obligation to people. People are sending you money, you know? They're giving you money for the stuff that you make. Right. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to not deliver, you know? Not only just not deliver, like, don't send it to them, but, you, but like, send them something that sucks, you right. know? So it's, it's... Right, you're back in every part of the... And process. I just, I think at this point, you know, like I said, the hustle, the hustle is everything now. And a big part of that is keeping people happy. Like customer satisfaction is more important now than ever because yeah. because you piss off one guy and he's gonna fucking get on you know <laughs> right. Instagram and 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 Twitter and Facebook and talk shit about you and Yelp or whatever you know right. and it's like so you got to keep everybody happy because you don't want to want people like talking shit about what you're doing because right. people listen to that. So it's, it's, it, that's, that shit matters now. Yeah. 
Well, you got a lot of irons in the fire too. I know you you've been working on your photography as well. I don't know if mm-hmm. that has happened more or if that's always kind of what you've been doing. But what is? I mean, something I have a, 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 an issue with sometimes is being your own boss, figuring out your schedule. Sure. Do you kind of have a set things you do each day, or like, um, do you work even when you don't have commissioned work coming in, or? Oh yeah. Do you kind of have a what's your I guess your what's your week look like? What's your process for? Well, I mean, I'm, I I I got to say, I mean, I always feel like I'm really undisciplined and then I talk to other artists sometimes and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, like no, I'm yeah, I'm actually got my shit together." Right. But, but I mean, even so, like I just sort of I take it as it comes. I mean, I sort of I'm very in the in in working on stuff I'm very linear like I kind of can only really like focus on one thing at a time but there's always a bunch of shit coming in so it's sort of like okay I'm gonna I need to get through this and then I can work on this and Uh then I can work on this and you know the photography thing started happening about 10 years ago I guess and part of the reason for it was I kind of wanted to do something creative that I didn't have any obligation to anybody that it was just, I was doing it for right, myself. Yeah. And, and now the, and you know, I get a lot of satisfaction from that, but of course I can't, you know, I can't help myself. I do it long enough. And then it's like, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta figure out a way to monetize this somehow. Like I gotta like, <laughs> so, you know, now I'm, I'm selling prints and I'm working on, I'm gonna, I wanna do a book at some point of photography. And, excuse me. And it just, uh, you know, that's 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 kind of the way I am. I mean, I just, I'm sorry about that. I just can't like not, I feel like everything I do is kind of part of what I'm doing as an artist. So so it all at some point needs to go back into the- The company? The Yeah, the focus of it. So I'm, it's, and yeah, like it, it becomes hard sometimes to kind of get focused on focused on what you need to do as opposed to what you want to do right. because yeah obviously i would be totally happy to take photos of naked women every day and <laughs> right. you know who wouldn't but but sometimes it's like oh okay i can't do that because i need to sit down and like finish this you know f- finish this poster i'm working on or, or or put together you know some ideas for for t-shirts or stickers or whatever you know it's like and and that's the thing too is there's a lot of there's a lot of what I do that isn't necessarily creative in the sense like I'm cr- I'm creating a new image or a new painting or whatever, but it's just kind of the maintenance of all of the existing shit. You know, right. it's like keeping everything going. Yeah, it's like oh okay, I got it. You know, here's here's all these paintings that I have that I haven't done. You know, like prints of and and you know here's all this. You know, because I've been making artwork now for. I have this huge inventory of images that, I mean, literally I could never, if I stopped drawing and painting entirely, I have so much shit that I could just keep, right. you know, using, making, making prints or making t-shirts or whatever that I could just keep doing that forever without having to like even make anything new. But then there's also the weight of that, of like, if you're not, sort of using that stuff it you know you you got to keep it all it's just it's all these balls in the air you yeah know? equate it to like the you spin the plates yeah you that, make sure all your plates are uh that is exactly what it is yeah. and and you know because the thing is like 
when you've done stuff for a long time, because you have people this, I mean, you know, there's still people, thank God, that want the smoking devil on a t-shirt or right. on a poster or a print or sticker or whatever. So, I mean, I've been selling that. I've been making money off that image for almost 25 years, which is awesome yeah. I, that Hell I can yeah. still make money off something that literally, I mean, I sat down and drew in probably 45 minutes, really? you know? I mean, it's like, that's been... It's classic now. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I still like I still have the original drawing that I, that I had that I drew to do that, and it's like I have it. You know, every time I look at it, like it's on the wall in a frame. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. That's like that's right. that's like the, you know, that's like the gold mine. That's the golden right. goose right there. You know, so I, I I really appreciate that people still like are interested in this shit. Like right. I, that's the, well, and that's the craziest thing too, is like now I'm, you know, I'm doing this photography and I'm shooting, you know, I'm shooting these models who are like in their twenties and the, you know, and these girls. And of course they come in and they look like the women that I've been drawing and painting right. my whole life. And then I start talking to them and they're like, yeah, you know, my mom or my dad was really into your artwork and collected <laughs> your work. Shit. And I, I've seen this ever since I was a little kid. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's my fault is what you're saying. <laughs> right. Like I, I invented you kind of. Yeah. So that's a really, that's, crazy. that's very weird. But, but you know, that's, what are you going to do? Uh, do you feel like uh, your cars and working on your cars are an extension of your brand? Is that something that you consider work or is that strictly... Oh, like totally. when you go to work on your truck, is that just you time or is that still part of everything that makes up the coupe brand? Well, I mean, I don't, it's not like I'm out there. I'm not, it's not like I'm out there tuning up the car thinking this is really helping my brand, right, like you for know, a photo but shoot. it's, but it's, it's just something that's always been a part of my life and something that informs my work. And, and also I think within that, within the world of, like I'm an artist and I sell stuff to guys who are hot rodders, guys who right. build cars. And within that world, I mean it's kind of like with it's kind of like with biker culture. It's like you, there's an authenticity there. It's like if you're not somebody who they know. Like right. if you're not if you're <laughs> right. a fake, they know. You know, if you if you come in there and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm going to make some hot rod art. And then you don't, you don't know, you know, a Ford from a fucking Chevy or whatever. They, <laughs> right. they know. And I mean, luckily for me, that's not been an issue because that's just always been part of my life. But, you know, I see people, you know, and, and I'm in clothing too, you know, you see these brands come and go where it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're really into, you know, custom culture. And then they do shit and you look at it and you go, and, and I just know, like I know the guys I know who are like car guys are going to look at it and go, I'm not going to wear that, right. you know, cause it's like, right. it's bullshit and they know it's bullshit. Right. Their bullshit detectors are very finely calibrated, you know, <laughs> more finely calibrated than a buyer for like some store or right. something. That goes, you know? Oh, this is hot right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, so in that respect, I mean, it, it just lends me, knowing that culture the way knowing that culture from the inside out it's a lot easier for me to make things that people that are part of that culture go oh yeah that's bitching i'm gonna buy that right you know 
and right it's more of a peer thing than you're being sold to or some mass produced you know something yeah. that was influenced by yeah. well and it's like those guys i mean especially with car culture those guys like like i mean literally like if you draw if you do a drawing of a 32 Ford and it has the wrong number of louvers on the hood side, right, they know. some fucking guy is going to come <laughs> right. up to you and tell you that. Like some guy is going to come up and say, you know, you don't know what you're doing. There's, you know, and, and I mean, you know, I've had that happen to me and not even necessarily cause I didn't know. It's just cause I just, you don't. Right. You're painting a car. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you got to be, you always got to, th- and that's something I always, when I'm doing those kind of images, I really spend a lot of time just like kind of making sure like, did I do that right? Cause I know if I don't do it right, some guy, it probably, it's probably going to be Robert Williams is going to tell me <laughs> right. like, ah, you did that Call all wrong. Yeah. So, you know, that, and, and in that respect, that's really, you know, part of it. And, and I think like, I mean, when guys see me driving around in, a, you know, my Model A or my 46 Ford or whatever, that they see that and they go, oh, yeah, well, that he's a real hot rodder. He's not like a bullshit guy. Right. And I mean, I've been, you know, I've, I've had my cars in hot rod magazines since like the early 90s. So it's like those guys knew, know like, oh, yeah, that's somebody he's he's not bullshit this actually is part of his life, just like it's part of my life. And so that, you know, you get a certain amount of respect from that. Right. And, 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 and now that there's the whole, you know, everybody's on Instagram or whatever, like, it's funny cause I, I did, I'm sort of fascinated by Instagram cause like I'm, I'm, I've done really well with it. And I've, in terms of, I put stuff up there and say, hey, this is for sale and people go buy it. But 90% of what I put up there has nothing, you know, all it is is just like, I'll put up photos of an old record I'm listening right. to, or I'll put up, like, I found some stupid car part that I'm, I, you know, I'm hoarding for some project that I'll never end up finishing. But, and then, you know, that'll get like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of likes and comments and whatever. And it's like, that's that is part of like what people that's a go you know what i was talking about it's all part of like what people are looking at they want to make sure you're not like a bullshit person right and and it's interesting because it's kind of an oblig it's you have kind of an obligation now that you probably didn't have before all this stuff existed because you know in the past like that kind of, uh, I guess, publicity would be very sort of a controlled thing. Like a magazine or a newspaper would call you and say, hey, we want to do an article about you. We're going to send out a photographer or whatever. Right. Whereas now you're documenting all that shit yourself. And you're, so if you're not authentic about it or you're just so fucking smart that you know how to play the game, you, you know, if you're not one of those two things, people people pick up on it, right. you know, it's in, and go, Oh, that guy's kind of bullshit. You right. know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have anything to do with him. So all that stuff becomes, and I mean, you know, cause I hear it. Like I, I know like my friends that are like motorcycle guys, like, you know, they talk about, they talk about like hipster choppers, you oh, know, sure. and they, they know the, the dudes that are like, they're into this right now and then they're going right. to move on and be right. into something else, you know, five minutes later. 
and it's they definitely see a difference in those in those things you know were motorcycles never your thing no i you know when i was a kid i i like i would fuck around on like dirt bikes and shit but i never i never really rode bikes on the street and uh-huh. and now you know it's funny i had I, my really good friend justin who runs glory uh-huh. and is you know super bike you know he's all about motorcycles and he builds bikes for movies right? yeah and about i don't know when it was probably about 10 no 12 years ago i I had just i had that itch and i was like man i really want like an old bike so and i was like you know help me find a bike and and i want i want to and we built this really cool like 64 triumph bobber and i really i just i loved the bike i was really happy with how it turned out and I rode it a couple of times and I was just so, cause I, at that time, you know, it was like, you know, how old was I? I was almost 40 and it was like, I was riding this thing in traffic and, you know, riding a bike in LA traffic is just, that's heart stopping. Right. And I was just like, I don't have the, right. It's not worth it. Like, well, it's like when I was a young man, I wouldn't have thought twice about it, but you know, it's like you re, you get to a certain age and you're like, man, th- cause well, you know, like Robert Williams talks about this. It's like, you know, if you're in a car and you get in an accident, it's like you you can make them, you can fuck up in a car and still walk away from it. Right. You fuck up in a bike, man, that can be, you know, you end up with like one fucking leg, you know, right. or and 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 you know, the thing I always thought about too was like if I if I eat it, and fuck up my hands or my hand yeah. it's like i'm out Fucked. of fucking work right. i can't work so you know and and that was the thing was every time i wrote it all those thoughts were going through my head and it's like fuck this isn't even fun right. i can't enjoy right. this i can't ride this bike i mean i think if i lived somewhere if i lived somewhere outside the city i think i would be able to enjoy having a motorcycle but man la just people drive like such assholes here and i just and i mean and you know every friend i know who rides a bike has this horror story of oh yeah you know some guy ran a red light and hit me and you know i was in the hospital for six months and it's like you know they've all got a big fucking scar on their arm or their leg or you know it's like oh yeah that's where they put in the pins and shit and it's like yeah i'm just i'm just too old for that you know and i'm I mean, of course, I'm sure fucking riding around in a, you know, 85 year old car can't be that much better. But yeah, it doesn't look like you take it easy in that thing either. No, <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's it's, you know, like I said, I mean, you still can mostly walk away from something like right. my, you know, I have my I have a 46 Ford sedan, and like I have I basically got that car, so that I could haul my kid around, and. So, you know, I'm driving around with my kid in the in the car seat in the back of this thing. And, you know, people are always like, well, I don't, I, do you feel safe in that? I mean, it doesn't have airbags or anything. Right. It's like, that thing's a fucking tank. <laughs> right. Like I had a, I, I, I stopped at a stoplight one day and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, I, I get rear-ended. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, you know, put the car and pull the emergency brake, get out of the car. And, and there's this dude in this, you know Prius and he had just completely just the front end was just like it was a it was 
horrible. I mean, the car was like, Holy I don't, shit. I don't know if the car would even, you know, move. And I look at my, I'm thinking, what am I going to see? I look over at this big, you know, 300 pound chrome bumper right. on the back of my car, not a fucking scratch, Holy shit. you know? And I was just like, he's like, and the guy's all worried. He's like, do we have to, do we have to like call our insurance companies? I'm like, well, nothing's wrong with my car. So I don't give a shit. You right. do whatever you want. you know, cause it's your Damn. fault anyway. I get in the car and I drive away and I'm like, ha 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 sucker. And you know, I, I always think about that when I drive that car on the freeway because you know, people in, people in LA, you know, they'll, you know, all the cars on the freeway will stop. And then you look up in your rear view mirror and right, here's this car coming. coming up on you. And the guy, the guy's holding his phone, like texting or something. You're right. like, shit here it comes but i know whenever i'm in that car i know like i'm gonna i'm gonna end up much better in that situation than he will right but it's that's the craziest thing is just oh man and that's what i'm saying is like i feel that way in a car so imagine you know being on two wheels and and out there in the fucking open you know yeah someone doesn't see you and rear end you it's a totally different story oh yeah Yeah. oh god Yeah. yeah what about uh I know you collect a lot of stuff. I've had like waves of, yeah. How do you, I guess, how do you justify it? Cause I go through these phases where I'm like, I don't need to be spending money on this shit or I don't need to like, I'll, I'll go crazy and I'll be in there every Wednesday buying comics and sure. buying toys. And then I go through phases where I'm just like, like a year will go by and I won't buy anything and then it comes back again. Yeah. And is that kind of, I kind of, I do a lot of that myself. I mean, I, and, and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of in a, I, I'm in a, I'm in a mode right now where I'm kind of selling some stuff because I've just, yeah, because I just, I've, I go into my studio and I've got like, you know, I've got like a 2,000 square foot studio and it's just fucking packed with <laughs> yeah. shit because I've been in there for t- 12 years. And I, uh, so I've been selling stuff and kind of trying to lighten my burden. But of course then it's like, then I, st- I get back into like, well, I mean, I've always collected records, but I right. get, I got back into it like really hardcore. And now it's like, I'm just, it's that's, I'm getting carried away with that. But see that this is my crazy, this is how my stupid brain works is like I, about a year or two ago, I was doing a car, I was doing a trade with this guy for some car stuff. And I'm so I'm over at his garage and we're horse trading and we're trying to like, he's trying to come up with shit to give me to sort of balance the deal out. And I'm like, well, you know, I look over and I see like a, you know, a travel case for like, you know, for like a DJ setup, like two turntables and a mixer. And I'm like, Oh, how about you throw that in? (laughs) And I was, and I don't even know why I, I, I mean, I was, when I was, when I was a kid in Tulsa, right before I left, I was, I was a radio DJ for a while, but I hadn't done it in, you know, 25 years or whatever. But I was just like, oh, yeah, that might be fun to have that at the studio and I can like play music and shit. And then I just got all fucking obsessed with that. And then I started like talking to my, you know, I had all these friends that were, you know, would do DJ nights at like bars and stuff. And we were like, hey, can I, you know, I want to come and play some, play some records, you know? And now it's like, now that's becoming like a semi-regular thing. And so, and I'm actually like, people are giving me money for it. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh shit, now I can justify buying right. all those fucking records. And you know, that's what I tell my wife and my wife's like, well, yeah, right, how much stretch. are you spending on those records as <laughs> right. opposed to how much you're getting for DJing? It's like, well, oh, you details. know, but it's, it's really satisfying to me. And, and like now I, f- I finally ended up setting up in my, I have a little, 
sort of studio at home that since I since my son was born and I ended up setting up my, the turntables in there and it's like because it's really fucking fun to just sit there and just play you know just play records and just go right. you know go through my 45s and just it's 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 very satisfying to me and it's and it's funny because I'll go do those I'll go do stuff at a, at events or at at club you know a bar or whatever and people come up and like ask for shit and it's like i'm not doing requests (laughs) i'm playing what i want to play it's like you're gonna sit down and listen to it you know so i mean luckily most of the time people seem to like it but where have you been doing that just random well just like my friends bars and stuff and i'm gonna i'm actually the weirdest thing is i got a call i got a or email a couple of months ago and i'm gonna do this thing next month this big event, it used to be called Ink and Iron at the Queen Mary, and now they call it like, I think they call it like the art gathering or something. Uh-huh. And a guy contacted me and he's like, hey, do you want to DJ at this? And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then he sends me the flyer and it's like me and Jello Biafro DJing. And I'm Holy like, wait, shit. what? I'm not. And now I feel totally fucking intimidated because <laughs> oh I mean, Jello Biafra is like this world-class <laughs> yeah. fucking record collector who has like insane shit that nobody else has. Oh and I'm like, Oh fuck, I better go. I better start. I better up my game, man. I better get on discogs and find some really cool right. shit to play, you know? Damn. So it, it, but you know, there now I'm DJing with, with, Jello Biafra. So it's just weird to me how like I do these things and I don't really do them with the mind of like making them into something, but then they just, that sort of ends up happening, you know? And that's kind of the same thing with the photography. That's amazing. So I think uh, it goes the opposite way for a lot of people. They try really hard to be a photographer and nothing picks up well, or, that's, or a DJ or whatever that's it tr- is. And I think maybe it's just cause I don't really care. Right. I mean, I, I mean, well, I mean, I care, but I'm not like, or I'm not, not being forced yeah, it's not like do or die for right. me, you know, it's more just kind of fun, you know, and that, yeah. I guess maybe that's a, le- there's a lesson to be learned from that is do shit that's fun to, yeah. for Hell you yeah. and, and, and it'll, if it's cool, people will like be into it, yeah. you know, but. Well, I know you got to get out of here. You got to pick up your, your son. Um, oh yeah. But, uh, anything else you got coming up? Anything you want to talk about? Anything you're working on or excited about? Or? No, just my. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing. I just started pre- doing pre-orders on a new print that's up on my my uh, store, which is is uh, wait, is it the Art of Coop? I can never remember. It's the the Art of Coop dot big cartel dot com. I think that's right. Here, yeah, let me. I let bought me... that engorged print a couple months back. I'm waiting to frame. Oh, perfect. So and good. and so I um. Yes, it's theartofcoop.bigcartel.com. See, this is how professional I am. <laughs> but I'm, I'm the next thing I'm doing that I, well that I know I'm doing right now is my friend Larry Hardy has a record label called In the Red Records. It's a great record label, and they're having a a big three day twenty fifth anniversary show at the Echo, and That's it's sweet. and it's fucking. I mean, it's an insane. It's like. You know, Michael Cronin and Ty Siegel and the Gories and the Red Ants are getting back together and like, you know, fucking and that. And that's I mean, it's like 100 bands or something. And Man. so I caught as soon as I found out I was going on, I emailed him. I'm like, dude, I want to do a poster, a poster for that. <laughs> right. So so I'm, I'm starting to work on that. I got to get that put together pretty soon. 
And then I'm doing that DJ thing and, and I'm just continuing. I want to find, I really, ideally, I would love to find a bar in Burbank or Glendale because that's, I live over there where I could just come like maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks and just play records. Yeah. Just as like, it's super casual fucking thing. You know, it's not going to be, I don't want it to be like a night or anything or like have a cover charge, but right. just, just, go hang just out. I want a place to go do that. And maybe I get some free drinks out of it. Yeah. You're homies with Bobby, right? Ultra? Yeah. 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 Got Highland Bowl. Well, we, well I told him, spot, you know, though. we went to the opening of that and the place looks amazing. And I told him, I said, we need to do a punk rock bowling league. And I said, I'll come <laughs> oh, and yeah. I'll come and DJ, you know, Damn, that'd be amazing. So that would be yeah, their logo, right? The, uh, yeah, well, I did, I've done a couple of logos for him really? now over the years. But, but yeah, I mean, Bobby. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, and he's another guy that, you know, he's he's he goes out and builds cars and races them and does all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, it's not just like, a, a you know, something, a, a T-shirt that he wears, right. you know. So. Yeah, that's where a lot of those pictures are from that we did that, that Speedway stuff. Oh, yeah, cool. That, that race out on the beach and uh-huh. uh, uh, the race of gentlemen. Race of gentlemen. Yeah, that's where a lot of those shots are from. Sweet. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming in. It was awesome sure. to meet you and be able to yeah. sit down. And I could talk to you for hours, but yeah. Well, I can killer. talk for hours, yeah. so that's not a problem. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, man.